This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. If your Bible should fall open to somewhere in Matthew, just correct it. Go to Romans chapter 1. We're going to take a break uh, for a few weeks from Matthew as we look at some uh, passages in the book of Romans, a series that I'm calling a Romans Christmas. We'll be looking at several different passages through Romans as we uh, go through December. This morning, we're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. You can find this on page 939 in the Pew Bibles. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, open our hearts and minds to your word this morning as we study together. We pray that the Spirit who inspired this word would be present with us now to interpret it and to impress it on our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What children don't understand is that anticipation is at least half the fun of Christmas. If your children ever said, I can't wait till Christmas. Children, have you ever said that? Have you said, I can't wait till Christmas? Okay, some of you, yes, and and the rest of you, perhaps. Um, They've learned not to raise your hand in church. Well... I said that myself when I was little, but you think about it, that's kind of a silly thing to say because you have to wait. It's going to get here when it's going to get here. But what I would sometimes respond is, well, you know, enjoy the wait, because once Christmas Day gets here, it's practically over, at least in the popular conception. Now, in the liturgical calendar, Christmas begins on Christmas Day, and it goes until uh, what is it, January 6th, which is Epiphany. So you have the 12 days of Christmas. But popularly conceived, Christmas Day is Christmas Day, and it goes by in a hurry once it gets here. So children and adults enjoy the anticipation. Well, the longest we ever wait for Christmas is one year. For children, it may seem like six years. For adults, it may seem like six months. Didn't we just do this? But uh, it can seem like a long time. Well, God's people waited, indeed, a very long time for that first Christmas. 
But as Christmas eventually does, even for the youngest and most impatient among us, that first Christmas eventually did arrive. Jesus the Messiah was born. Now, as Paul begins his letter to the Romans, he writes about that arrival. After all, Christmas is about the gospel. Christmas is part of the gospel. It's God's grace, God's goodness in sending to us the Savior whom he promised in the Old Testament to send. Well, Romans is about the gospel. Romans is about God's grace to us in that Savior whom he sent. And so in many ways, it's a very natural book to look at when we talk about those things that we talk about at Christmas. Well, in Romans, Paul writes about the arrival of Jesus not so much from a historical point of view, that is, the events that happened. You can read about those, of course, in those familiar passages in the Gospels, in Matthew and Luke especially. Paul writes rather from a theological point of view about the arrival of Jesus, not so much the events as they happened, but what is the significance? What is the meaning of those events? What do they have to say for us today? Well, as we celebrate Christmas this year, we need to understand what it is that Paul is saying here in these first few verses of the book of Romans. We need to understand the significance of Jesus' arrival. And in fact, Paul teaches us three facts here about it, things that he wants us to understand. And the first thing he he tells us about here is that Jesus' arrival was foretold. It was prophesied. It had been spoken of in advance. It was not something that just came out of the blue. Let's look at what he says in verses 1 and 2. He begins, of course, the beginning of of a letter identifying himself, Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And here he's describing his own credentials, his own authority to write the things that he does in this letter to the Romans. He is a servant of Christ. He's called by Christ to be an apostle, which in its basic meaning uh, means one who is sent out, but in in a more technical meaning, as Paul uses it here, has to do with that select few who were witnesses of the resurrected Christ. Now, you know Paul came to Jesus uh, after Jesus' ascension into heaven, but Jesus did appear to him on the road to Damascus and call him not only to become a Christian, but called him to become an apostle, and a, and a specially authorized ambassador of Christ and a witness to the gospel of Christ as he says, set apart for the gospel of God. As an apostle, Paul was one who had been separated apart, distinguished though that his whole life would itself be for the proclamation of the gospel of God. Now we come to verse 2, and he refers to the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. And that's what we want to concentrate on here. Um, The gospel of God, bound up in Christ, was promised beforehand through the prophets. Beforehand, before when? Well, before it happened. Before he was born, he was spoken of. Well, who foretold? God did. It's the gospel of God. 
Uh, well, how was he foretold? How was he spoken beforehand? Well, he says through his prophets. Where? In the Holy Scriptures. So Paul, of course, did not hear those prophets firsthand, just as you and I did not hear those prophets firsthand. Paul knew the message foretelling the birth of Christ through the prophets as their words were recorded in Scripture, which is the very same way you and I encounter that message that was foretold. Now, if you'd lived in Isaiah's day, you would have heard him. If you'd lived in Jeremiah's day, you would have heard him. But Paul didn't. He lived many centuries later. And yet, hearing their prophecies written in Scripture, he considered them as authoritative for his day. So that's the first thing that we read about here was that his arrival was foretold. Well, some examples of that, some of them are familiar. We think, for example, in Isaiah uh, chapter 7, where he speaks of this one to come being born of a virgin. And in fact, Matthew describes that fulfillment, uh, born in this miraculous way. Uh, Micah, for instance, speaks of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, as distinguished from another Bethlehem, uh, the Bethlehem that was in Judea near Jerusalem, the southern Bethlehem, which is, in fact, where Jesus was born. And on and on it, it goes, describing these events concerning the arrival of our Lord Jesus, and, of course, many more that described various events that would take place in the life of our Lord Jesus. And so even with that first Christmas, even with the birth of Jesus, when it actually happened, there was a sense of anticipation. There was a sense of waiting, longing for something to come. And it was a long time coming, but in fact, it did come. Now, there were many who missed it. And in fact, it, it happened in relative obscurity. Uh, but there were witnesses, and there were those who caught the significance of what had happened. We think of the shepherds uh, to whom the angels appeared. We think of Anna. Think of Simeon, who, uh, who 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 held and welcomed and spoke of the uh, the Messiah when he was born. So there were those who caught it. There were those who understood. And so that's the first thing that Paul wants us to understand was that the birth of Jesus was something prophesied. Now, we anticipate it. We look forward to it uh, for different reasons uh, that we could list. What is it you enjoy about Christmas? What is it you look forward to in the celebration of it? But for most people, I think, there is an anticipation of it, a looking forward to it. Uh, however, we need to recognize, too, that uh, that, that itself as the church celebrates it, is just a sign. It's just a, uh, a symbol that reflects a greater anticipation, uh, that anticipation of Jesus' second advent. Because even as we celebrate his first advent, which was prophesied, which was foretold, we celebrate that recognizing that we await a second and more glorious advent even than his first and as we read earlier in Second Peter, uh, and even in that passage in Isaiah, uh, we look forward to a, 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 an advent of Jesus that will usher in 
the fullness of salvation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we'll usher in the fullness of his judgment for those who are not. Uh, but it is that second coming that ultimately we anticipate, that we look forward to, that we long for. Uh, and even in Isaiah, while that passage we read earlier is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus the first time, its greatest fulfillment will come when he comes the second time. So we recognize that his arrival was foretold, there was anticipation, and even so now we anticipate his arrival the second time, his arrival not in humility, not in obscurity, not to suffer, but in glory and in victory. And we, his people, will share in that glory and in that victory. Well, the second truth, second fact that Paul has here that he wants us to understand, not only was his arrival foretold, but his arrival also was unique. Uh, It was unique. It wasn't very unique. I almost said it was unusual. But it wasn't just unusual, it was unique. Unique means one of a kind. Uh, It does not admit of degrees, which is to say something is either unique or it isn't. It can't be halfway unique or possibly unique. Uh, It's either unique or it's not. Well, Jesus' birth was indeed unique, and that for several reasons. Uh, First of all, we look at his human lineage, which isn't unique. We all have a human lineage. We all have our physical ancestors. But look at what Paul says in verse 3. Concerning his son, this gospel concerning Jesus, his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, uh, that is, according simply to his human lineage, he was a descendant of David. Now, we know that. We, we recognize that from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, 2 Samuel 7 where David purposes to build a house for the Lord, and the Lord says, No, you will not build me a house. Your son will build me a house, but I will build you a house. And you will, and that is in the sense of a dynasty. And you will never, never fail to have a descendant who reigns, who sits on the throne of Israel. Which, of course, we would see fulfilled in Christ, the son of David. But even in the New Testament, for example, in the Gospels, he is spoken of as the son of David. His lineage from David, humanly speaking, is traced, uh, particularly through Joseph, uh, through Mary. Uh, Joseph as his adoptive father, of course, not his biological father. Uh, but his arrival is unique in a limited sense in that he was, he was born to be a king. He was a descendant of that great king of Israel. But the true uniqueness of Jesus' birth comes from his divine lineage. Verse 4, he was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness. Now, Paul packs a lot of phrases in here as he, as he writes about Jesus. He is the Son of God. In a, in a couple of senses, one, that he is the second person of the Trinity, the God the Son. Uh, two, that he in fact was the Son of God as he was born here into this world. His, his very conception was an act of divine power apart from the normal biological uh, requirements that he was in fact conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Son of God, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By his resurrection from the dead. 
Now, the, the birth of Christ is important, but it's important as part of a larger complex of events. You can't just take the birth of Christ and make much of it while you ignore everything else about his life. And the world has a tendency to do that. The world takes this story and, and makes this sentimental, even maudlin thing of it without recognizing that it is connected to Jesus' suffering as a whole leading up to the cross and his death and burial, but then culminating uh, in his resurrection. The verdict of man being overturned as God raised him from the dead, as Peter spoke in Acts chapter 2, and his resurrection. And it's there that he is declared to be the Son of God in power when he is raised from the dead, when he's accomplished our salvation, when what he was born to do is fulfilled and accomplished in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's really only at that point that Paul names him. He's going on and on about him, and it builds up to him naming naming him as Jesus Christ our Lord. That word Lord uh, referring back to the Old Testament, to Yahweh, to God, that Jesus Christ is that embodiment of the Lord of Israel, the, old, the, the, the Yahweh, the Lord that we find in the Old Testament. He is one and the same, God in the flesh. His arrival was foretold. His arrival was unique. It was one of a kind uh, as a sign to who he was, as a sign of what he came to do. But Paul also tells us in third place that his arrival had a goal. There was a reason he was born into the world. And again, tying in with that complex of, of redemptive events, uh, including his death and resurrection, it also has the goal of his having accomplished that work in order that it would be proclaimed, in order that what he, who he is and what he came to do would be made known throughout the nations. And that's where Paul comes in. That's where the other apostles come in. That's where the church comes in. Look at verses 5 and 6. Paul says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Grace, because this is something no man could do, certainly no man would deserve to do, to be a spokesman for the living God, a spokesman for the gospel, whether it's Paul uh, in, a, in, a, in that elevated sense as an official spokesman, or all of us. We've received grace ourselves to know the gospel, but it's the grace of God that we are able to make that known to others. Grace, Paul says, and apostleship, authority, the office that he held. To do what? Well, he says to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, I want us to zero in on that phrase for just a minute, the obedience of faith. What does that mean? I mean, if you think about it, you could interpret that several different ways. The obedience, for example, that springs from faith because we believe, we obey, and that's certainly a biblical concept. That's a a legitimate idea and uh, perhaps could be taken as what Paul is referring to here. There are several options, but a second one that I would suggest I think really gets to the point is not the obedience that springs from faith. We trust in Jesus, therefore we want to obey, for example, the Ten Commandments. But the obedience that is faith 
How do you obey the message of Christ when it comes to you? You believe, right? Jesus himself said that in John chapter 6, where people came and they said, what must we do to do the works God requires? Which is kind of like saying, teacher, what's going to be on the test so we know what to study for? You know, kind of that's a minimalist approach. What do we need to do to make sure we're getting done what God wants us to get done? You know, is it commandments 1 through 4, you know, 4 through 8, 1 through 9? Maybe it's all 10. What do we have to do? And Jesus replies to them. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. How do we obey the gospel? How do we respond to the gospel? Well, it's not work harder, try harder, dig down, look deep within. You can do it. No. It's simply to receive the free gift of Christ in God's grace. Now, yes, the idea that we obey out of faith is a biblical one. It is true. And Paul talks about that. We're going to talk about that in this series. But when Paul is first talking about the gospel here, and in fact the first part of Romans is taken up with this, the response to God is not work harder. The response is to believe the gospel. And so Paul says we have received grace and apostleship to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith. I think he means that the obedience that is faith. To believe in the gospel For the sake of his name, that is, for the glory of his name, uh, that his name would be known, that he would be glorified for his salvation, where? Among all the nations. The gospel is meant to go out into all the world. Paul himself was was a large part of that initial spread of the gospel, going out to the nations, going out to the world, going out to people who speak different languages, people of different ethnic groups, people of different cultures. And, you know, as I've been thinking about that lately, that's one of the amazing things about the gospel of Christ is it's, it's not tied to any one culture. It can, the, the faith of Christ and faith in Christ can be practiced in different languages, different cultures, different contexts. It may look different in terms of its trappings, but the, the heart of it, the gospel of Christ, is the same. Uh, we were talking about this, I think, maybe in the men's Bible study. Maybe it was the women's Bible study. I don't remember. Uh, about um, earlier when uh, James White was here. And uh, the, it was an, it was a, he showed a video of what amounted to an evangelistic meeting. Only it wasn't an evangelistic preacher, Christian up front. This was a, a Muslim meeting. And people came forward. And they had to confess Allah. And they had to do it in Arabic. And he, the, the, the leader of the meeting fed them the syllables one at a time to say. Which leads you to think, well, would he not accept English? Not that I want people to confess all in one way or the other. But the thing about Christianity is that it is for all the nations. And it does not have to look like it does in Great Britain or the United States or in Korea or in Africa Worldwide, It takes different forms, same gospel, different contexts. It's to go out among all the nations, including you, he says, in Rome, or you here in Georgia, called to belong to Jesus Christ. But you see, his arrival had a goal. And the goal was to make known the grace of God, to make known the work of Christ to all the nations. 
to call people to that obedience of faith, no matter where they live, no matter what language they speak, no matter what their culture might be, no matter what their background is, that all of us have one thing in common, and that is we are alienated by our sin from the one true and living God, and Jesus Christ has come that we might be reconciled to him. Well, people waited a long time to celebrate the birth of Christ for the first time. And there were those who missed it, and there were those who got it. Well, certainly we need to know the events of Christ's birth to celebrate those, that amazing uh, uh, evening, that amazing time when Jesus was born into this world. But even more important than knowing the events, we need to know what they mean. We need to know the, the significance of it, not just for history, but for us, this week, today, we need to see the significance of it. When we understand that God planned for a long time to send his son into the world and told us about it in advance. When we see the significance, when we understand the unique nature of Jesus' birth, who he is and what he came to do. When we see the significance of Jesus' birth, when we recognize the claim that places on us to believe in him as our Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that the Bible makes so clear not only what happened, but what it means, the significance of it. Father, we pray, I pray, that we would be gripped by that birth, not just as a story that we like to hear, but as something that has a gripping claim upon our lives because of who it was who was born and what he came into this world to do. Father, we pray uh, that we would be gripped by this truth, not just in December, but every day, year-round, that our Savior came into this world. He died for us. He lives for us. He saves us. So we believe in him. We pray it in his name. Amen.